welcome you to our first serve online service of the week, man. We're so glad to have you here. And can I just say that once again, what the devil meant for harm, man, God is working out for good. Man, this coronavirus continues to be a concern, you know, affecting just about everything in our culture, work, school, gatherings of all kinds. I'm telling you, this week I've heard of both weddings and funerals that have been postponed, you know, because social distancing seems to be the best strategy to beat this virus and keep it from spreading. But friends, I'm telling you, social distancing does not require spiritual distancing. Uh, we went to all online services this week, and man, God is using this. I don't think anybody wants to do this, but I tell you, it's the responsible, faithful thing to do. You know, Romans 15 says, those of us who are strong and able, man, and the faith need to step in and lend a hand and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not for status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, man, how can I help? And so for the sake of the most vulnerable, compassionate Christians, you know, we moved all of our services online, but wow, has God shown up. Dude, I got so many pictures of individuals and families and discipleship groups and watch parties uh, worshiping together over the weekend. Uh, I heard about one family that invited their neighbor across the street, come to our house for the service. They did, and that was their first visit to Compassion Christian. Dude, hashtag one church in, one church in a thousand locations, right? I mean, that's how we did it. Actually, last weekend, it was one church in 14,000 locations. That's how many computers and devices logged on. And man, Lord knows how many people that actually represented. But to all of you, can I just say, man, we love you. We're here for you. And together, we are going to continue to do the best of things in the worst of times. Last week, <clears throat> excuse me. We had a couple give their lives to Jesus and were baptized at our Midway campus right after the online service. It was awesome. Uh, we literally prayed with hundreds of people in our chat rooms on our website. Uh, man, I saw these beautiful pictures of, you know, parents teaching their kids about communion and then the kids serving communion to their parents at home. It was just awesome. And friends, your generosity has been amazing. Now, we all know the church is not closed and our ministry has not stopped. Man, we're just doing our big group meetings online so that we can protect the weakest and the most vulnerable among us. But the truth is our ministry is moving at even a greater rate now because there are so many people in our community who are hurting. And let me tell you, your generous giving continues to fuel this great work that God is doing through us. And I just believe we're going to look back on these days and we're going to be glad that as believers, we were strong and courageous. Friends, true character always shows itself in a time of crisis. And let me tell you, your character is obvious, and I thank God for you. All right, last week we finished up a series of messages on generation to generation. Loved it, had a lot of fun with that. But today we're going to launch a new series of messages that we're calling Anxious for Nothing. And man, we're going to look into what the New Testament says will help us prevail through times of uncertainty and crisis. Now, friends, the temptation to give in to anxiety is really, really powerful in these days. Now, you know the story, virus is spreading, people are dying, schools are closing, politicians are promising, financial markets rocked, travel bans, NBA, college basketball, Major League Baseball, hockey, golf, all canceled, toilet paper supplies wiped out. No pun intended on that. I, I, okay, don't know, okay, boomer stuff on that, all right? People are hoarding hand sanitizer. I'm telling you, this is a scary moment for a lot of people because it's a time of uncertainty. We don't know what tomorrow holds, much less six months from now. So let me ask you a question. What are we going to do? 
What are we as compassion Christians going to do? Now, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of a calm day on the Sea of Galilee in Israel. You know, there's a story about the disciples of Jesus getting caught in a violent storm on that water. And it's recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Listen, same story is told three times because I think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something. Man, they were trying to cross over to the other side of the lake. Huge, threatening storm strikes out of nowhere. And Jesus is sitting in the front of the boat asleep. Now, some of his disciples were water guides. You know, they were fishermen. And they didn't know if they're going to survive this storm or not. I mean, they just caved in to fear and anxiety. But I tell you, the one thing they did that was most productive is they went to Jesus. And let me tell you, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this amazing miracle. They woke Jesus up. He looked at the storm and said, enough. Be still. And man, the wind stopped and the waves began to calm down. And it was such a stunning display of miraculous, you know, power over that problem that the disciples immediately went from panic to peace. Or maybe we should say they went from fear to faith. And let me tell you what they learned that day. When Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to be afraid of what's happening outside your boat. And friends, this is the same Jesus that wants to walk with you through whatever this coronavirus forces us to face. So let me just ask you again, compassion Christians, what are we going to do? I mean, the world is watching and the world needs to see followers of Jesus walking in faith rather than in fear. So let me just ask you, what are you going to do? Now, to prepare you to prevail in this crisis, for the next three weeks, I want to share with you what the Bible says about overpowering fear and anxiety with faith. Now, I'm especially indebted to two of my ministry buddies for this, uh, for some help on this series. Gene Apple and Max Licato uh, really gave me a lot of insight in preparing for this series. In fact, Max has a book entitled Anxious for Nothing that I would encourage you to buy and read because it's so helpful as we... Listen, this is not just an infectious virus. This is a fear virus that has people hurting and hoarding and man struggling with high anxiety. Now, friends, the coronavirus did not introduce anxiety to our culture. Many of us were struggling with anxiety long before that virus appeared. Now, if you've done any reading on this subject, you know that the number one health issue among American women is anxiety. It is the number two health issue for American men right behind drug and alcohol abuse because men mask their fear and anxiety with drugs and alcohol. I mean, you hear those guys going, I don't worry about anything, but bro, pass me that joint, pass me that beer, bourbon, wine, whatever. I, I read this week that 40 million adults in America admit to struggling with anxiety and that number is growing. Friends, last year, we spent over $300 billion treating anxiety in our country. And if my friend Hayden Shaw is right, he says, if you have teenagers, you know, Generation Z, that generation shows the sharpest rise in anxiety of any group in America. Listen, the latest Pew Research report shows the top problems that, you know, teenagers see among their peers. It's not bullying. It's not drug addiction. It's not drinking alcohol. It's not poverty. Number one, 70% of them identified anxiety and depression as the number one problem they see among their peers. And it ain't just teenagers, friends. There's people in every age group in America wrestling with anxiety. In fact, guess what researchers say is the most anxious nation in the world? Jamaica. 
No, it's not Jamaica. It's the U.S., man. Come on. The United States is the most... Ang Listen, we got the gold medal in anxiety. Did you know that when people move from other countries to the U.S., their anxiety starts to go up? It's something about the way we live here. And of course, you know, this corona crisis has got us all a little anxious, which you're going to see in a minute is not all bad. But lots of us are struggling with toxic anxiety long before this breakout. Now, how can that be? I mean, how can our nation is arguably the safest, most prosperous nation in the world. Our cars are safer than they've ever been. Our medical care is the best it has ever been, available to more citizens than ever before. I mean, aren't you amazed at how nimble our medical professionals are in this country and how quickly they respond to this crisis? You know, consequently, people are living longer than ever before. Dude, we don't even let our kids ride a bicycle without a helmet. Now, I know this is an online service, but wherever you are, watch party, life group, family, whatever, show of hands, how many of you grew up with parents who made you wear a helmet when you rode the bicycle? Seriously? You're the only six people in this church. I'm telling you, man, that nobody over 25 can remember that. I'm, I'm just telling you, man, nobody. I grew up in riding in cars that didn't even have seat belts. <laughs> and I mean, when we finally got one with seat belts, we'd jam it down in the crack down there so we didn't have to sit on top of them. When we would go on vacation, I would ride on that shelf. You know what that, any of y'all ever ridden on the shelf right under the back glass? And you know, you were a little kid and you could lay down up there and then your dad hits the brakes and you just like bowling pin, you know, all of your brothers and sisters. But we're still here. <laughs> Somehow we survived. I mean, how is it that we have less to be anxious about than ever before? And as a nation, we are more anxious than ever before. Now, friend, whether you're a believer or not, you don't have to be a sociologist to see a trend in our culture as we have pushed any sense of the authority of God and his word farther and farther and farther down. Our culture has experienced an undeniable exponential spike in anxiety. So man, when you need to stay calm, you should acknowledge the danger of anxiety. Now, fear and anxiety actually exist on a spectrum. You've got healthy fear and anxiety on one side and toxic fear and anxiety on the other. Now, healthy fear and anxiety sees the threat and then responds. Man, this is when fear and anxiety are actually a good thing. You see a threat, the amygdala that God created in your brain pulls the fire alarm and bro, you go into action. I mean, hopefully appropriate action. Uh, my Sarah and I were out working in the yard one day a year or so ago and we were moving these lawn chairs and she thought to herself, why did Cam leave a hose under this chair? And when she reached down to pick it up, a water moccasin's tongue came out and she responded with the Fred Flintstone. She went, and then she just took off. And then I responded as well. And that little poor little water moccasin died of GSW. Gunshot wounds, multiple. Don't scare my wife, bro. But listen, that's a healthy response. There's a water moccasin, run. You're at the beach. There's a shark. Get out of the water. Dude, do something, right? Listen, that's why we're doing online services today. Because there's a possibility that the oldest people in our church could be exposed to the coronavirus in a big group. And so we're responding with faith and responsibility. We're not giving up on our mission. We're just finding another way to get our mission done. Now, Justin Nickerson is a comedian. And he said, you know, we fear the wrong things. We fear spiders, but we don't fear diarrhea. But more people die of diarrhea than they do of spider bites. What you ought to fear is a chalupa at Taco Bell, bro. That, that's what you ought to be afraid of, right? 
Because, you know, healthy fear and anxiety sees a threat and then reacts appropriately. But toxic fear and anxiety imagines a threat and gets stuck, can't move on. Max Lucado in his book describes anxiety as a meteor shower of what ifs. What if there's a water moccasin? You should never go outside and walk in the grass again. What if there's a shark? Don't ever swim in the ocean again. What if a plane crashes? Don't ever fly without a parachute again. I mean, Lucado says anxiety turns you into, you know, one part chicken little and the other part Eeyore. You're sure the sky's falling, and if it does, it's going to hit you. What if I get sick? What if the market crashes? What if I never get married? What if I get married and I lose my marriage? What if my kids have crooked teeth and I don't have enough money to get them braces? What if they grow up with crooked teeth and they never get a job and they never get married, so I never get any grandkids? What if I see them on the corner one day with a sign saying, my parents didn't pay for my braces, anything will help? <laughs> Counselors call this catastrophizing. And I'm telling you, man, toxic anxiety does that. It just, it, it accelerates everything and it keeps our bodies in fight or flight mode all the time. And friend, your body was not designed by God to live like that. Listen, God never intended anybody who was created in his image to justify long-term anxiety. Now listen, healthy fear and anxiety are temporary. I mean, they can be rational and good, especially if it gets you moving. But toxic fear and anxiety linger. They're long-term. They keep your body tense and tight all the time. You live in a constant sense of stress. So let me ask you, you ever had a season of worry where you had a hard time sleeping? You just toss and turn all night long, wake up in the middle of the night over and over again? You ever had that? No, you're too young. I have had it. I've had it enough for all y'all, okay? I've had it enough for all of y'all. Or maybe toxic anxiety, where you wake up every morning with a series of negative what ifs in your mind. I mean, some of y'all have an anxiety right now because we talk about this at church. You know why? Because many followers of Jesus don't know the difference between healthy anxiety and toxic anxiety. Consequently, if you have any anxiety, you think something's wrong with your faith. I mean, Jesus came to bring us peace, right? So if I have any anxiety, something must be wrong with me. And then that causes more anxiety. So let me help you out here. If you have healthy anxiety, you know what that makes you? Normal. That makes you normal. It makes you a normal human being created in the image of God. Listen, God himself had a healthy sense of anxiety about the predicament that our sins put us in. And because he loves us, he responded by sending Jesus to save us, right? He didn't let it linger. He didn't just live with it. Man, he responded with the plan of salvation to solve that problem. And dude, if you ignore his plan, <laughs> that's your problem. But I'm telling you, one of the coolest things that I'm able to do as a pastor is take folks from our church to Israel on a pilgrimage to visit places where Jesus made this indelible mark on our world. Man, we visited the Mount of the Beatitudes, you know, where Jesus taught us, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. And, and why? Because you have a heavenly father who loves you, who will take care of you. Man, we, we took those folks on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, just like the disciples of Jesus. And I taught them that same story. We visited the upper room where the disciples were so anxious 
because Jesus told them, one of you guys is going to betray me. Another one of you is going to abandon me, uh, uh, deny me. Then all of you are going to abandon me. And then I'm going to be killed by my enemies. But listen, I'm going to rise from the dead. And so Jesus told them, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, man, believe also in me. But let me show you a picture of a site where something happened that led to a passage of scripture that can set your soul free from bondage to toxic anxiety. This picture you're looking at right now is the port of Caesarea. This is where the apostle Paul was put on a ship to sail to Rome where he was imprisoned and waited to stand trial before the emperor Nero. And let me tell you, he didn't get arrested and put in prison for tax evasion or drunk driving. He went there because he was preaching about Jesus. And friends, just like God is using this coronavirus to open up doors of ministry for our church, God used Paul's unfair imprisonment to provide us with the most effective antidote for anxiety of all time. And so friends, I'm gonna share with you what Kendall says is the most highlighted verse in the entire Bible. And it really speaks to where we are today. So Paul's in prison. He's shackled to a Roman soldier, literally just a few days before being executed for his faith. And here's what he writes to his friends in the city of Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's say it all together. Y'all ready? Do not be anxious about anything. Trans, some translations say, be anxious for nothing. Now listen, if he'd say, be less anxious when times get tough, that would be one thing. But he says, don't be anxious about anything. Did he, did he really mean that? I mean, don't ever be anxious about anything in your entire life. I don't think so. Paul's talking about what I just explained to you, the difference between healthy anxiety and toxic anxiety. Now, Paul wrote that verse in Koine Greek, which is ancient Greek. And the verb in that verse is in the present active tense. Now that verb form refers to a present reality that is gonna go on and on and on and on. Paul is talking about living with an ongoing state of anxiety. You shouldn't ever live with just an ongoing state of anxiety and not try to do something about that. Now he's not saying you should never feel any anxiety of any kind. He's just saying that as a follower of Jesus, you should not be living with perpetual day after day, week after week, month after month, ongoing state of anxiety because you're dragging a bag of rocks around that we need to help you with. Now, listen, all of us experience healthy anxiety from time to time. Even Jesus experienced that. Now, I've taken a lot of people from our church to the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, where Jesus was so filled with anxiety on the night before he took all of our sins on himself to the cross. He was filled with so much anxiety that he sweat drops of blood. Dude, he was so tight and so tense that the capillary started bursting when he considered the spiritual and the physical brutality that was just ahead of him as he died to save our world. But how did he respond to that anxiety? He refocused on his father's love. He refocused on his role in saving the people that both he and his father loved. And when he did that refocus, it helped him replace anxiety with strong faith in his mission. Listen, Jesus did the same thing in his storm that his disciples learned to do in their storm. Now, just think about that. If Jesus had to deal with healthy anxiety, you will too. And I will too. And friends, the good news is that when you pray in anxious times, you have a Lord who knows what anxiety is like. He gets it, man. And he's got the power to help. Now, let me just be real with you. 
Some of us have lived with toxic anxiety for so long, or it has gotten so severe for whatever reason that it will require professional help and medication to overcome, which is why we have Christian counselors on our staff, which is why, thank God, we have Christian therapists who are part of our church family. Listen, there is no shame in seeking help with anxiety. Listen, sometimes our brain gets ill, just like the rest of our body gets ill. The only shame would be not seeking help. So if you've got anxiety that has grown to the point where you need some help, I hope in Jesus' name, you will seek help. But please never forget that toxic anxiety is not just physical and it's not just psychological. It is a deeply spiritual issue. So man, we have to approach it by paying attention not just to what our physical needs are, but to what our God, our designer, our creator says about it, which of course would make so much sense. I mean, he ought to know he's the one who made us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into five verses that I believe will literally free you from the hold of toxic anxiety on your life if you will make it a habit of honoring and obeying these verses. So here's the word from the Apostle Paul who is in chains, in prison for his faith, awaiting execution by Nero. He's got every reason to be anxious, but in Philippians chapter four, turning your Bible to Philippians chapter four, you're gonna wanna underline this. This is the most highlighted verse in the Bible, man, I'm telling you. Philippians four, verse four, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, we'll say it again, rejoice. Man, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I want to focus on the first two verses uh, today, and you should memorize these. I mean, you should memorize this verse. It will help you out a lot. And friends, it's easy to memorize a verse like this. All you got to do is read it out loud six times, and you should be able to say it from memory the seventh time. And if you can't, then you're taking too big of a bite, back it off, take, a, take it two bites out of it, uh, and you'll be able to work it out. But just so that you know this is doable, I want to introduce you to one of our young compassion kids. Where is that young man? Harrison Huxford, where you at? Come on out here, Harrison. Let's welcome Harrison to the stage, everybody. Come on. How you doing, young man? Good. Good to see you, pal. How old are you? Nine. Really? I knew that. I knew that. What's your last name? Huxford. What a great name. You must have a great grandfather. Yeah. Hey, listen, man. Now, now, when did I ask you to memorize this verse? Yesterday. Yesterday? That's right. And you got it? Yes, sir. You ready to go? You, yes, you don't need your mama out here mouthing it to you or anything like that. You ready? Yes, sir. Okay, Bo. Lay it on us. Let's hear it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Boom. Yeah. There it is right there, man. Come on, come on. All right, give me the high five. I ain't doing that, boy. Get out of here, man. Come on. Go wash that hand. Go wash that hand. <laughs> now, listen. <clears throat> Here's the big question, all right? Why are we able to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, H2 just told us, because the Lord is near. Listen, that's what the disciples learned in that storm. I mean, it's awesome. But it's that first phrase that throws us, rejoice in the Lord always. Now listen, Paul 
are you expecting us to be jumping for joy in the middle of this virus when schools are closing and we're having to make huge adjustments? Am I supposed to be joyful when my marriage is crumbling or my job might go away or I could get sick? No, 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 no. Listen, Paul is not telling us to rejoice in the circumstances and the worries we're facing. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord who is with us in every circumstance. I think what Paul's trying to remind us here is, bro, when you need to stay calm, you need to celebrate what you believe. Now let's say it all together. Y'all ready? Celebrate what you believe. One more time. Celebrate what you believe. All right? Not so sharp without that monitor, are you? Ah, Okay, I see. Now listen, man, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, Paul's saying you can rejoice in your Lord. Rejoice that you're not alone. Rejoice that you have a Lord who gets it. Rejoice that you have a Lord who loves you. He's near. Now, you know, with all this going on with this virus, last Sunday afternoon, my buddy Eddie Wright uh, lives in my neighborhood, died of cancer, and went to be with the Lord. And so I went to visit Eddie's wife, Jeanette, and her family on, on Sunday night. And Jeanette and I were visiting, and she said, Cam, I don't know how people get through this without the Lord. Now, you know what she's doing? She is celebrating the peace and comfort and strength that she is drawing from what she believes. She believes the Lord is near. His word is true. So she knows she hadn't lost Eddie. She knows exactly where Eddie is. He's with the Lord in heaven. And so she's not going to crumble under the weight of this grief because her Lord is near. Her separation is temporary. Her family and her church family are here for us. She doesn't have to face this alone. Listen, she is in the boat with Jesus. And knowing that is comforting her right in the middle of this storm on top of a storm. Now, is she facing some anxiety? Of course. Is she grieving? Sure. She's in a storm. But she's responding with courage because she knows she's not alone. Now, friends, she's living out this life-changing principle that we're going to learn from Paul today. Belief precedes behavior. Belief precedes behavior. Now, now when you feel like anxiety is getting out of control in your life, you need to learn to refocus on what you believe about God. Now, for example, if you're a parent, I bet you can remember standing in a swimming pool and trying to coax one of your kids to jump off a deck or a dock or a diving board, and they're scared to death, all locked up. You know why? Because they think if they jump in that water, they're going to die. And you just said, come on, baby, come on, baby, jump. You can trust me. I'm right here. Daddy, catch you. And then sometimes we get frustrated. You better jump, boy. I'm right here. I got you, dude. Trust me, jump. Have you ever thought about why you get frustrated? The reason you get frustrated is because you love your kids and you know what's best for them. And their hesitation, their behavior says they don't believe that. Belief precedes behavior. Friends, faith can overpower fear. But when your faith is weak, dude, fear is strong. And I think in a similar way, the same thing is true about our anxiety and our belief in God. Man, when you need to stay calm, you want to celebrate what is true about God. Celebrate what is true about God. Come on, everybody. Celebrate what is true about God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, listen. That's important because you might believe some stuff that ain't true about God. A lot of people believe stuff that ain't true about God. Friends, embedded in these first two verses are two truths that we can celebrate about God that will reduce the impact of anxiety on your life. Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord. And then he talks about how the Lord is near. Now think about this. 
Paul tells us that Jesus is the Lord. That means he's in control. Man, the word Lord means ruler, commander, the boss. It's a reference to the sovereignty of God. He has kingly control over our life and our destiny. Think about it. Nothing is going to happen in your life without Jesus' permission. And then he is going to help you with everything that he allows to happen in your life. I think 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a great example of this. You know, Paul told us, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist. And with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape. Now, listen, that is an expression of his sovereign control in our world. He has decided nobody is going to be tempted beyond their ability to resist. Now, those of you who know me well, I I can hear you thinking it right now. Cam? Are you suggesting that Jesus allowed your dad to die when you were 11? The answer is yes. Now, did God cause my dad to die? I don't believe that. My dad died because sin broke this world. And listen, people in a broken world sometimes have heart attacks like my dad. But friend, listen to me. It would take me an hour to explain to you all the ways that my life got stronger because of the pain I endured because of my dad's death. Listen, if my dad had lived to be 80 years old, like some of your dads, you know, I might have been a really good farmer or a really good salesman. And then I had drive a really nice truck and have a nice house on the beach. But because I had to deal with my dad's death, I became a pastor. And because I'm a friend acquainted with grief, I became a more effective pastor. So yeah, ultimately, I believe God allowed me to go through that grief for the sake of the thousands of people that I've been able to help lead to Jesus who are saved today and who are going to be in heaven one day with me and my dad forever. He is the Lord. He is ultimately in control of things, listen, that I don't really have the mental bandwidth to totally understand yet, but one day I will. Paul goes on to say, though, he's not only in control, he's near, so he is good I mean, we have a Lord who's good. He's close to us. He understands us. Listen, everybody in our world has sensed that at one time or another. I mean, everybody, the the, the most angry atheist you've ever met has had a sense of God's presence in his life. That's why in Romans chapter one, it says nobody will have an excuse when we stand before the Lord. Now, in the very next verse, Philippians 4, 6, which we'll study next week, Paul says that Jesus protects us from toxic anxiety because he's good. He's blessed us in the past, which makes us thankful in the present, which uh, enables us to trust him in the future. Man, Paul says that we can pray to him and know that Jesus cares and hears and answers every single prayer if you're a believer. Now, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says grow, but he answers every single prayer. Now, let me show you how this works in a kind of a visual way. You with me? You got me here? Think about it like this. Here's the middle ground between the goodness of God and the control, the sovereign control of God in our world. Now, right here in the middle is where peace and anxiety-free joy and, and grace, this is where it lives, right here. We believe that God is good. We believe that God is in control. 
And so we can experience a sense of peace when we believe in these two truths. Now, here's the problem. If your life gets crazy and you feel like my life is so jacked up, it's out of control, I'm, I'm, I'm over here now, you're going to start living with anxiety because you think something's going on in your life that God cannot work out for good because he loves you and he called you according to his purpose. On the other hand, if you go to this side and you start feeling like, hey, my daddy died. Hey, my child is sick. Hey, I got a car wreck. God's not good. Listen, you're going to start living with anxiety as well. And so the only safe place is right here where you're confident in the goodness of God and confidence in the control of God. Now, I'm just telling you, we all struggle with one of the others of these. If you've had some horrible things happen in your life, horrible things happen to you, you know, maybe health issues or, you know, relational issues or whatever, and it causes you to start doubting the goodness of God, you know, when your faith in this is weak, anxiety will be high. Uh, you know, if you are, this is the one I struggle with the most right here, releasing control of my life to God, trusting that God's plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. And let me tell you, the more I trust the sovereign control of God, the lower my anxiety will be. The higher my faith is, the lower my anxiety will be. But friends, I'm telling you, peace and joy exist in this middle ground where you are totally confident in the goodness of God and in the control of God. And if you're not, you need to let us talk with you about that. You need to ask that question so we can have an opportunity to visit with you because I'm telling you, peace in the midst of a storm is the property of people who believe that God is good and people believe that God is in control and they push everything through that filter. And I'll give you a great example of that. I have a dear friend who's <clears throat> an elder of our church. He came to an elders meeting one night and he said, I've been diagnosed with cancer and I want you to pray for me. Now he believed that God is good and he believes God is in control. And so he said, I, because I know God is good, I'm going to ask him to heal me. I know he loves me. I'm going to ask him to heal me. But because he's the sovereign Lord of my life, I know there are three different ways that he can heal me. He can heal me dramatically, miraculously, or he can heal me gradually through medical care, or he can heal me ultimately by just letting me go die and I'll go to heaven. So it's like, I know God is good. I know God is in control. And so I'm going to trust him. He says, the worst thing that can happen is I die and go to heaven forever. That's the worst thing. On the other side, because I know he has control over cancer, if I ask him, maybe he'll heal my body and he'll enable me to continue to serve my family and continue to serve this church and honestly continue to be an encouragement to me. And so I prayed really hard that God would heal his body. And you know what? God did heal his body. And he recovered from that cancer and it was an amazing, fruitful three or four more years of his life. But last year he died of a heart attack. And he's in heaven today with my dad and two of my kids. And one day I'll join him. But right up to that last minute, my friend lived with the peace that passes all understanding. You know why? Because he rejoiced in his Lord and he believed his Lord is near. And if you believe that like my friend Carlton does, you will be able to live anxious, for nothing. Now, friends, as we bring this to a close, I'm going to pray for us in just a second. But in terms of the sovereign control of God, think of all God has done to get you in front of this message today. Think of all that he has worked out, the technology, the timing, where you're sitting right now, all that God has done to remind you that he is good. 
and he's in control and he's near. And friend, if you've never made a commitment to Christ, I wanna encourage you to do that. I wanna encourage you to respond to the God who's always moving toward you. Man, if you've never given your life to Christ, no wonder you're living with so much anxiety. No wonder you can't get it figured out. No wonder you keep bashing into one wall after another. You're not submitting to the sovereign will of God for your life. And I wanna encourage you to make that decision today. Listen, if you just go up to that screen where it says prayer request, you tap that button. We've got pastors waiting right now to hear your prayer request. And if you tell them, man, I wanna give my life to Christ, somebody will contact you as soon as we can get to it. And if we have to stay here till midnight tonight, we're gonna to respond to everybody who says, I need prayer, I need help, I need to know what my next step is. You just press that button and you watch how God begins to move people into your life to help you make this decision. And if you need prayer today, same button. If you're dealing with anxiety, your heart is just broken with worry, you are concerned, you, you feel hopeless, friends, that's not God's will for you. That is not what God created you to experience. He has a life for you better than anything you can imagine today. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, I wanna encourage you to do that. If you need God's help with anything, reach out to Him. When you're in His boat, it makes everything outside that boat look different. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we've had to open your word today and just think about this antidote for anxiety that Paul lived out in a prison cell in Rome. And I pray God that we will live it out in these coronavirus days in America. Father, thank you for everybody who's watched this message today. I pray God that they're doing it with friends if they can. I pray God that they will take this to heart and then take a step. And that next step and the next and the next will lead them to the life you dream for them. Bless them as they start moving. We pray in Jesus' strong name, amen. God bless you, love you, see you soon. Well, friends, that was an amazing message. And I wanna leave you with two questions that I hope you'll engage with, either with your family or with your small group, with whoever's watching this message and this worship time with you right now. The first question is this, do you struggle more with God's goodness or God's control? How do those two things work together in your life? And the second question is this, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you struggle with toxic anxiety? How much does it impact your life? I hope you use these two questions to engage with your family or your small group or the people that, that are around you right now to start a discussion about this as you try to discern what God's will is for your life and for your community. Now, as we end up and as we finish up tonight, I just wanna share with you some encouraging news. This challenging time that we're in, this season, presents some great opportunities for you to be the church. And I wanna share with you one thing that somebody from our church, Compassion Christian Church, did just today. We have some members of our East Campus. They own a Kona ice truck, and they realize there are all of these kids that are home from school right now because schools are closed. And they realize, you know what? We can take what God has given us, this resource, and we can make a difference in our community. And so they partnered with another ministry that, that we're in relationship with called PAC, People of Action Caring for Kids. They today went into downtown Savannah they parked that Kona ice truck in a couple of neighborhoods and they gave away free Kona ice to all of these middle and high school and elementary school students. It was a great way to serve our community in a unique way. And then right after that, these families came out to see why is this, why is this man giving away his free product? Why is he doing this for us? And that created a bridge so that this ministry called PAC 
was able to give away 700 bags of food just today to families all over the downtown Savannah area. So I want you to know that you have a, a unique, a creative opportunity to serve the people in our community right now. So I hope you'll consider that and you'll make a difference today in our community. Well, friends, it's been a great evening of worship. I'm glad you joined us. We'll see you Sunday at 9 or 11. Have a great rest of your week. We love you guys.